All right, we're going to go ahead and begin our study on Abraham. We've just got this week and next week. And then we're going to be concluding and getting ready for Summer Spectacular. Open your Bibles, please, to Genesis chapter 22. I want to talk to you tonight about tests. Uh, It's coincidental that this sermon comes during a week when a lot of our children are in finals. Uh, public and private schools, and this is a week of many, many tests. It's been a very constant theme at my house, and I'm sure at some of yours as well. Maybe you remember those days. I actually never minded them very much because I typically was good at taking tests in school. And that doesn't mean I was smarter than other kids. I'm not always sure that schools uh, test to figure out who's the brightest Sometimes I just know how to take tests, and so I, I usually did pretty well at that. For other people, it's a real burden. But I'm a big believer that, that tests are important and that teachers give them for good motives, despite some of the things I've been hearing around the building the last few uh, minutes down in the youth center. I believe that I probably should get the cut of money from a fairly well-known NFL football player who copied my test scores and got through ACU that way. (laughs) Now, I didn't know he was cheating off me. I found that out later, but I got him through a freshman and sophomore Bible. I always wondered why he wanted to sit just behind me and to my right. (laughs) And it reminded me of a story I heard one time of a professor that thought uh, a football player was cheating. And he called the player in and says, I think you've been copying off someone else's test scores. And he says, what makes you think that? Well, I've compared your test to his test, and the answers are identical. And he says, that could just be a coincidence. That proves nothing. Teacher said, yeah, I know. But on this answer, he put, I don't know. And the football player said, so? And the teacher said, yeah, but on yours, you put, I don't know either. (laughs) Well... Again, I tend to give teachers the benefit of the doubt that if the motive of the giver is pure, then the purpose of the test is to measure and assist the growth of the taker. I think tests have value, and I know that from my own experience doing some uh, auditing of classes When I was in graduate school. And I noticed that if I audited a course. I never retained or picked up as much knowledge. As if I took the course for a grade. I could go to the class. I could take notes. I could buy the same textbooks. But when I knew I would not be tested. I did not learn the lessons the teacher wanted me to learn. Like when I was tested. The first six words of Genesis 22 are these. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. Sometime later. Now, that means that for some years now, life has been going good for Abraham. Things have been smooth. Isaac is finally on the scene. He's been weaned. He's grown up into a little boy, into a young man, into a teenager. And it has been 
the years that Abraham has always longed for. Life has been good. And it's been good for a while. And that can be a dangerous place to stay. And so without any warning or explanation, God decides to give Abraham a pop quiz. Now God does this a lot. And not only does God do it, but the Bible says we ought to welcome it. We should be glad when God does it. In fact, look at David's words in Psalm 26. Put me on trial, Lord, and cross-examine me. Test my motives and my heart. For I am always aware of your unfailing love, and I've lived according to your truth. Why does he want to be tested? Because, write it down, test grades reveal if faith is real. Because people are like tea bags. You have to put them in hot water to find out what is really in them. And so you hear the phrase tried and true. Well, the fact is, faith isn't true until it's been tried. The Bible says in James chapter 1, dear brothers and sisters... Whenever troubles come your way, let it be an opportunity for joy. For when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you'll be strong in character and ready for anything. For some years now, there has been laughter in Abraham's tent. But what God wanted to know was if his confidence was in his son or in the God who gave him. So, the first two verses of Genesis 22 contain these stunning words. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, Whom you love. And go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains. I will tell you about. Now. Abraham has no way to know he's being tested. The narrator gives us insight that Abraham doesn't have. And by the way. These kinds of sacrifices were common in the pagan religions around Abraham. Other religions offered children to their gods. And Deuteronomy 18 has not been written yet. God will reveal his abhorrence at the practice of child sacrifice. But he hasn't said that yet. The problem here is not that what God is asking for us ghastly. In fact, remember, Abraham has already shown he is quick to protest if he thinks God intentions are unjust. Back in chapter 18, when God said, I'm going to go down and see what's going on in Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham got in the way and said, won't the judge of all the earth do right? Would it be right for you to destroy a whole city if X number of righteous people are in it? If Abraham has a problem with God's intentions seeming unjust, he tells him. Still, What Abraham has to wrestle with is this. How is God going to keep his promise if he asked for it? 
The dilemma is what God wanted to do to Isaac and what God had promised to do through Isaac. And Abraham has ordered his whole life around this boy. I mean, from the moment years ago when he left Ur, it was all centered on one promise. And now God's going to ask for the promise he promised to keep. This was the mother of all final exams. Did he pass it? I know you know the story, but let's read it again like it's watching it for the first time. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey, and he took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance, and he said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. And as the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. And when they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God. Because you've not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place Yahweh Jireh. The Lord will provide. And to this day it is said on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. And then Abraham returned to his servants. They set off together for Beersheba, and Abraham stayed in Beersheba. It's quite a story. A story that I think is recorded so that his faith can inspire our faith. You're not going to take this test. But you're going to have to answer some of the same questions in the test that God gives you. And here are at least three. Number one. Is my first response obedience? You see, Abraham was too familiar with God's voice to mistake it. He knew who was talking to him. And so his question then is, am I going to choose to delay in hopes that if I fiddle around a while, procrastinate, delay, 
I'll give God time to change his mind. Look at the first four words of verse 3. Early the next morning. Abraham understood that obedience and procrastination are mutually exclusive. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, obedience tends to come fairly easily when I know what God is up to. But even when I don't know, I still have the exact same two choices. Obedience or disobedience. We tend to want to hold back on obedience until we get all the details. But that's not living by faith. That's living by sight. All of us as parents know this exchange. Go this or this or this. Why? Because I said so. And sometimes that's the only answer you get from God. C.S. Lewis says, The most frequently used word in heaven is going to be this one. Oh. (laughs) I think he might be right. Oh. That's what God was up to. Oh. Now I get it. Oh, it makes total sense now. But there are some places you will only go because of obedience. See, this was Abraham's Gethsemane. And I'm going to suggest to you that he could sacrifice Isaac because he had already sacrificed his will And his wisdom to God. Abraham had already died to himself. And dead men follow orders. And so when you have your own unexpected pop quiz from God. First question. Is my first response obedience? Or do I piddle around Expecting God to give me more details before I obey. Question number two. Is my best what I bring to worship? Consider again what Isaac meant to this man. He's the son he has waited for for years. He is the only child of his beloved Sarah and by the way we'll talk about this next week the first time you read about tears in the Bible will be when Sarah dies Abraham loved Sarah and this is her only child he is the personal Evidence that God keeps his promises. See, he wasn't just Abraham's best. He was Abraham's blessed. See, we got no problem when God wants us to give up something that we know is bad for us. 
When God asks for something we know is wrong, we don't say, why? It's when God retracts our blessings that our faith gets tested. Because after a while, we tend to act like our blessings are our entitlements. And we're owed an explanation if God wants them back. But think about Abraham's faith journey. From the very beginning, God has been teaching him to let go. It started in Ur. Let go of your homeland and the culture you've known all your life. It continued in Herod. Let go of your family. It continued with his nephew. Let Lot go. It continued with Ishmael. Let him go. In fact, if you think about it, Abraham's timetable all these years has had to be released. Because God never kept the promise when Abraham wanted it kept. So do you see what God's doing? He's leading his man through a pilgrimage of learning to release. And Abraham has reached this point now where there's one driving fear in his life. He used to have a lot of fears, but now there's one. His fear of displeasing God is greater than his fear of losing anything else. Now, I know that you fear God. You would let go of your best. See, this is not the trek, I think, of a devastated, broken man. This is a man on his way to worship. Let me tell you something I've learned. Clutchers never make good worshipers. One principle in Bible study, the first time you find a word in the Bible, you get an insight on how it's used or its meaning throughout Scripture. And this is the first time the word worship is used in the Bible. I'm taking this boy, I'm going up on that mountain, I'm going to go worship God. The first time the word worship is used in the New Testament, Matthew 2, verse 2. When the wise men come with their gifts and they say, where's the king? We've come to worship. And what's the Bible saying? The Bible is saying to worship is to let go and offer your best to God. I think it is one reason why the people of God now for about 4,000 years have worshipped God by holding up their hands. It is a physical symbol that worshipers can't be clutchers. You see, God is jealous for our affection. And we should never expect Him to to accept second-rate offerings. I've told you this story before. And I don't mean to offend anybody here because I know people have different attachments to different songs. I've never liked the song, Victory in Jesus. 
I know that is the favorite song of some of you, and that's fine. But I don't like the song. I think the reason is because in the little church I grew up in, if we sang Victory in Jesus, it took 27 minutes to finish it. (laughs) And so some years ago, I was at a service. I was not preaching that service. I was literally just visiting. And I was sitting toward the back. It's not often that I get to go to a, a worship service and just sit and receive and we were singing songs, and we were standing, and we, were, and we started singing Victory in Jesus. And I went through the first verse. Victory in Jesus. When's this going to be over? <laughs> and then it happened. And uh, this does not happen to me very often. Where God speaks so clearly, I think someone's standing next to me. In fact, this has only happened to me a handful of times in my life. But it happened that day. And here's what I heard. Is this your best? And I'm telling you, the Spirit of God convicted that old hard heart of mine to the point I got tears in my eyes. Who do I think I am that I will let the style of a song or a worship preference dictate what God is going to get from me? I repented on the spot, held up my hands for the rest of that song and sang out loud to God. I still don't like the song. (laughs) But I'll sing it with all I've got. Is my best what I bring to worship? Because faith without sacrifice is dead. And one last question. Is my trust in my reason or his provision? Let me tell you what I think was the hardest question on Abraham's test. And it was asked by his boy. Daddy, where is the lamb? And I think Abraham answered that question in two ways. And both of his answers revealed the depth of his faith. Look at verse 5 one more time. This is what he told the servants. Notice... We will worship and then we will come back to you. He's not deceiving them. That's not unconscious prophecy. That's unwavering faith. He really believed it. Now, at this point, there is no record in the history of the recorded scripture that anyone has ever come back from the dead. And yet, in a sense, Isaac's very existence is proof that God can do something with dead things. Because Abraham's body was reproductively dead. Sarah's womb was dead. He had tangible proof by his side that God can take what's dead and make it alive. And in an astounding leap of faith, Abraham reasons, even though he's never heard of such a thing, that resurrection 
is more compatible with the character of God than contradiction. He concludes, I don't quite get this. He's asking for the promise, but he's going to keep the promise. And the promise is this boy. So the best I can figure is that after I kill him, I'm going to get him back. Because that makes more sense to me than the thought that God could contradict himself and be a liar. Look how the Hebrew writer speaks about it. It was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who had received God's promises, was ready to sacrifice his only son, Isaac. Though God had promised him, Isaac is the son to whom your descendants will be counted. Watch this. Abraham assumed that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. Abraham came through the test because he believed God would come through. And that's what he said in his second answer. The one he gave his boy. Daddy, where's the lamb? Son, God himself will provide. Abraham had reached a point in his life where he could trust his future more to the promise of God than even to the presence of Isaac. God will provide a lamb, son. And even as he spoke, there was a ram that was walking up the other side of that mountain that they couldn't see or hear yet. The provision was already on the way. I have to wonder if this was the moment that Jesus was referring to when he would say to the Pharisees, Your father Abraham saw my day, and he was glad. And Abraham returned with his son and with a new name for God, Yahweh Jireh. Because here's the thing. You always come out of a test with greater understanding. One of the, my heroes in Christian history is a man named George Mueller. You ought to read about him if you haven't. He was a wild young man, a reprobate. On the day of his mother's death, he stole money out of her purse to go get drunk. At the age of 26, though, he came to Christ. And God put on him a tremendous burden for orphans. And in his lifetime, he provided care for two thousand orphans in England. And here was what's so unique about George Mueller. He didn't know or care about fundraising. And so he never tried. Now he did receive over seventeen million dollars in his lifetime to care for those orphans. And here was his here was his policy. I'll pray about it. God will provide. I'll pray about it. There are five thousand recorded answers to prayer. In his journals that he kept in his lifetime. One time there at the orphanage. They had nothing to eat. He told the orphans to go into the kitchen. They sat at the table. He said who's going to say prayer. Thanking God for what we're going to eat today. And while they're praying. There's a knock on the door. And this guy opens the door. And says I was supposed to cater a party. And got my dates mixed up. And I got a couple of wagons of food here. I thought I'd bring it to the orphans. And they feasted. 
But one of my favorite stories. Mueller was in a time when the orphanage was about to have to shut down because their debts had gotten so big. So he went to his office and closed the door and he said, Lord, I've never asked a man for anything. I've always just asked you. But you've got to come through now because this is desperate. There was a knock on the door and the secretary said, the post has come. There was just one letter. And that one letter was from a widow that had heard about Mueller's work. And inside that letter, she had put a fabulous diamond ring and said, this is for the orphans. And the sale of that ring more than covered all their debts. He took that ring over to his study and in the glass, he scratched with that ring. Yahweh Jireh. The Lord will provide. See, here's the thing about test cases. They're the places, not just where faith is proved to be real. They're the places where God becomes real. Abraham's knowledge of God went to a totally new level because of the test. And get this, so did Isaac's. Because on the top of that mountain, it's the last time in the Bible it's recorded that Abraham heard God. It's the first time Isaac did. And that covenant that Isaac had heard his daddy talk about all his life, for the first time he hears God promise to keep it because he was there when his dad took the test you see faith displayed is often faith dispensed and what God often does is he takes your example in your test and uses it to inspire somebody else to a new understanding of God too and that's why we have this story That's why it's good to share our test scores with one another. Because when you go through a test, and in that test that you didn't see coming, that you wouldn't wish on anybody, that you don't want to go through again, but you get on the other side of it, you've learned something about God that's not only going to bless you, but that God wants you to share So somebody else will get a blessing too. So, we're going to practice what I'm preaching. Everybody stand up. Here's what you're going to do for about the next eight minutes. You're going to get in groups of about six or eight or ten. And somebody in that group is going to be bold enough to say, I've been through a test recently. And here's what God taught me about himself. So encourage each other for the next few moments. I'm going to give you about one more minute, so go ahead and finish up your story, please. One more minute.
Amen. Remain standing because we just have one more song. Let me just thank you for doing that. It is such a joy to preach for a church where you can ask people to get outside of the comfort zone every now and then and they respond. And while you were meeting, a lot of the different groups were on the screens down here. And I'm telling you, there were lots of smiles in this room. Because God is active and God is doing things. And it's just an encouragement to hear all the stories of what God is doing among us. We need to share them more often. So thank you for doing that. We're going to sing one more song. We're going to sing Victory in Jesus. I requested it. I requested it, and I'm not going to endure it. I'm going to enjoy it. Because it does have a good point, and that is a lamb has been provided. And if you have not been washed in the blood of Jesus, you need to do that tonight. Come and participate in his victory in baptism. Let's sing this song.